0: God's grace. God's grace is the invisible hand and it weaves our small lives and God's greatness together into eternity. I us to think about that for a second. That is, that is amazing. It is so nice to see everyone. It's nice to be here. This is our first Sunday where we had to do a, a second uh, morning service. I'm glad that we were able to reach out to our brothers and sisters that way, especially during this time of COVID. Psalm 40. Psalm 40 is where we'll start today. Psalm 40. Tonight is Nate's lesson uh, on government 101 with God. He's going to be continuing his Roman series and pulling that from Romans 13. We're coming up on election season, so I hope you can be here for that and, uh, and see what God says that we should be thinking about and doing during this time. Nate has also just been a great, a great teacher and a great mentor. And When I first started preaching, he said, you know, I want to do uh, devos on all 150 psalms. I was like, whoa! slow down, <laughs> uh, he's, this guy's lost his mind, but, um, but as we've gone through them, they've been great, they've been very beneficial to me, and I pray they're beneficial to you, I encourage you to listen to them, they're on Facebook, we post them once, uh, twice a week, and 5-10 uh, minutes, if you're Nate, 15 minutes, but, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah. Caleb uh, put one out the other, the other week on Psalm 40, and, and that's where we begin today. We're going to keep talking about grace this morning, and I hope to tackle questions like what is sin, how does it relate to grace, how far does God's grace extend, and does God's grace give his love conditions? But before we go any deeper, we first need to understand sin. Why should we care about sin? Well, that sounds like a silly question, but for those who don't believe in God, sin Why should sin matter? And if sin doesn't matter, well, then neither should God's grace. Psalm 40. Psalm 40, if you haven't turned there. I want to look at what David says in verse 12. Verse 12. For evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me, and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails me. Can we not relate to this verse here? Evils have encompassed me. Iniquities have overtaken me. They are more than the hairs on my head. That's a lot of iniquities. My heart fails me. (laughs) David describes here what God's people are very familiar with. And we've we've been there. We've felt this overwhelming pull from sin that seems impossible to escape. And our heart yells out to God. You know, I've sinned and I've sinned and I've sinned and, and I can't stop. This is that ever-tormenting cycle that leads to despair. But what is sin? Well, to the skeptic, the skeptic would say that sins are evil actions according to a standard of behaviors set by religious organizations. But that's just not it at all. Simply sin is anything contrary to God's law. What God says is right and wrong, and 1 John 3, 4 says it clearly. That everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. Before anything, we have to realize that we have the ability to choose to make moral or immoral actions. Without God, we're left with this concept of moral relativism, which simply means that there is no universal set of absolute moral principles. The thing about moral relativism, though, is that it doesn't work in practice. It's like anarchy for our soul. And God tells us why in Isaiah 55, 8 through 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. To choose moral relativism and to ignore, you know, the consequences of our sin is to condone things like racism and genocide. So why should we care about sin? Because God is our reliable guide when it comes to morality, right, and wrong, God's morality, if you will, is a standard. It's a standard to live by. A higher standard than anyone else could come up with. Any human. Sin is not what some religious organization says is right or wrong. Sins are actions contrary to what God says is right or wrong. However, with that comes the knowledge of a recognition of personal responsibility, of accountability. I'm accountable for for my actions, for, for what I do. And Paul makes this argument in Romans 7, 7. What then shall we say? That the law is sin by no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. All of us can be influenced negatively. Seems like we mess up on a daily basis sometimes. However, the same God that lovingly shows us our sins also shows us our source of salvation. If you're still in Psalm 40, read with me verses 2 through 3. He drew me up from the pit of destruction. Out of the miry bog, he set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. It's in these verses that we're introduced to that rock, The rock that makes our steps secure. And David says, who is that in verse 2? The Lord. You see, God's standard, which is Christ's standard, guarantees that other people and ourselves are treated justly, fairly, and lovingly. Being Christ-like guarantees that others are treated graciously. But how far then does grace extend? How far does it extend? To understand that, we have to go to the man, spirit, and God himself, Jesus. Turn with me to Hebrews 4. Hebrews 4. While you're turning over there, who would give the life of their son or daughter for someone else? I I imagine many of us would not. In fact, I bet none of us would. And that seems pretty cruel to a child. Why would someone do that to their child? No one as innocent as a child deserves to die for someone as guilty as me. Or you so why did God do that for us? Well it's hard sometimes to think of Jesus as God and human Jesus being God in human form is a large concept but in order for Jesus you know to be human means that he had to have choices. He had to have choices just like you and me. what made Jesus perfect in a way wasn't that he was only God but as human every choice he made, was perfect without sin, right? And so it wasn't just some moral relativism. It wasn't just some wishful thinking, but absolute freedom, absolute freedom and righteousness. And that's very important. Hebrews 4 verses 14 through 15 describes it this way. Since then we have a great high priest who has surpassed who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confessions. We have to realize that today, Jesus is our high priest, right? And as a high priest, he does for us what no one else can. Verse 15, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Keep a marker there in Hebrews. We're going to go back. But turn over to Luke 22, Luke 22, verse 40, Luke 22, verse 40. Jesus here is in the Garden of Gethsemane, Mount of Olives. He's praying to, he's praying to God. This is right before Judas comes uh, with the temple of guards to arrest him. And he is aware of his fate and what the next few hours will bring. He knows that if he stays here, if he stays put, death awaits him. What I want us to pay attention to is is to what and how Jesus says what he says. Starting with verse 40, "When when he came to the place, he said to them, talking about his disciples, pray that you will not fall into temptation. He went away from them about a stone's throw, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup away from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. Then an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him, and in his anguish he prayed more earnestly and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Verse 42 there. Let not my will but yours be done. That statement implies that he had a will. He had a choice to follow what God wanted him to accomplish. It was not cruelty that caused God to sacrifice Jesus for our redemption. It was not powerlessness that kept Jesus on the cross. It was 100% Mercy and grace. I point this out not to show the cruelty of God, but the mercy of God. One of the greatest forms of love is not the, not the sacrificing of children, but to give your own life so that someone else might live. And out of love, he chose to do that. Jesus chose to do that. And we read about that in the next chapter. Turn over there, Luke 23. Luke 23, verses 33-38. Here we read about Jesus' crucifixion. Right, the very act that was brought through God's grace. In verse 33 to 38. So when they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. But Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Then they threw dice and divided his clothes. The people also stood there watching. But the leaders ridiculed him, saying, he saved others, let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. Then the soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There is also an inscription over him, this is the king of the Jews. I want us to look at the statements that these people are making here. In Verse 37, verse 35. If you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. How many of us, unknowingly in a way, say this to God or about God? You know, if if you're God, why don't you just fix everything? If God is real, why doesn't he just prove it? If there was a God, he'd be able to do this or that. I want to have to suffer with this or have to do that. We hear statements like this all the time. And even as Christians, we demand God do something. But how selfish is that of us? We say these things thinking about ourselves and and no one else, thinking that it's God's obligation to do as we demand. Or is it the other way around? You see, when we do God's will, he promises things will work out to his glory and our joy. These people don't realize what they're saying. If, if Jesus did what they said he should do, get off the cross, not only would he be disobeying God and obeying man, but where would that love be? Where would that love be? How would taking himself off the cross, saving himself, show love to, to these people or us for that matter? And that's where God's grace comes in. It's through his grace that his son Jesus died. For us. Whether we are aware of, of it, whether we are aware of it or not, it's God's absolute gift to us. For the sake of time, Ephesians two eight says this, but we won't read that this morning. This sacrifice covers all. I want to continue reading with me in Luke twenty-three, verses forty-four through forty-six. It says, It was now about noon and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. Because the sun's light failed, the temple curtain was torn in two. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, in your hands I commit my spirit. And after he said this, he breathed his last. This is the debt that covers our sins and forgives us through grace. Because of God's grace, this sacrifice, this sacrifice had the power to save us from our sins. For you remember those things, those actions that we commit against God and other people in this world? Turn with me back to Hebrews 4 if you have your marker there. Hebrews 4, and look with me at verse 16. Hebrews 4, verse 16. It says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. What does it say there? To receive mercy and find grace when whenever we need help. When we ask that question, how far does God's grace extend? The answer is right there, to receive mercy and find grace. Whenever sin crouches at our door, we hear talk like, well, our faith can be lost. And so in turn, we become you know out of reach of God's grace. But that's not true at all. Now, we can choose to throw away our faith, but no sin keeps us out of reach from God's grace. The effect of God's grace is dependent on our heart, and who we choose to follow. The other day, I was faced with a difficult question. I was asked, is God's love conditional or unconditional? Well, that's a tough question. If you answer unconditional, the follow-up question is, can you lose your faith? Or in other words, can you become unsaved? Well, if that's true, then it seems like God's love does have conditions. And it's dependent on what we do. And if we can lose our salvation and we aren't once saved, always saved, well, then that sounds like conditions again. And this is the spiral that we fall into. But if we need answers, where do we go? We go to God's word. We also hear phrases like, God's grace covers all. right? And so in turn, you're saved forever no matter what you do. And that that can be true, but only to an extent, only to an extent. I want you to think of it this way, as a tent, right? God's grace is a tent. It's a tent that covers the whole world. And this tent encompasses all of God's love, forgiveness, mercy, Jesus, and so on. It's in this tent that we can have salvation. In this tent, we are saved. And anything we do inside this tent is covered by grace. But we have a choice. We have a choice. We can choose to leave this tent, ignore this tent, ignoring all that God has done for us. Grace isn't limited to our location or our actions Grace is only possible because of God's actions, not ours. Jesus says in Matthew 7, 21 through 23, that some will lose their salvation. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say, Lord, Lord, did did we not prophesy in your name and cast out many demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Remember 1 John 3, sin is lawlessness. God has made the way to him possible. And that's grace. Retaining our salvation is a heart issue. It's a faith issue. We decide when we don't want to put on Christ anymore. Now, God knows our heart and what we truly desire. Are we desiring God and his grace? or ourselves this tent of grace if you will is not a a physical tent it's our soul it's it's our heart and we can choose to leave this tent behind now how does God's grace come into play then well grace erases all conditions God's grace makes his love unconditional and we always have a choice to allow it to have an impact in our life Paul sums up Jesus' sacrifice and the love shown through that sacrifice perfectly in Ephesians 3 16 through 19. Ephesians 3 16 through 19. It says, That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. God's love is unconditional. He created us as as humans and he loves us as humans. Now, he may not love what we do in this life, but he loves us as our souls. He loves us. God's grace, God's love comes without conditions. The only people that put conditions on love are us. We do that. In our foolishness, we we try to decide what is better and when and what God needs to do before we can love him, right? But that's just not it at all. It's not it. He loves us and he's there. The question is are we going to walk into his open arms of grace? Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. That was mentioned in class, 1 John 4, 8. To better understand this concept, I want to look at a well-known parable that Jesus taught. Turn with me to Luke 15. Luke 15. This is the parable of the prodigal son, the, the compassionate father, some of your Bibles may say. Luke 15, verses 11 through 24. Luke 15, starting with verses 11 and 12, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me a share of your property that is coming to me. And he divided the property between them. Stop right there for a second. This man is still in his father's house, and in the next few verses, he'll leave his his father's house in the same way that we might leave God or, or perhaps never with God to begin with. See, if we are Christians and we choose to leave our salvation God hasn't abandoned us. He hasn't changed the availability of his grace. We've abandoned him. In the same way, this man is still his father's son. Verse 13. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property and reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. And so he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him in the field to feed the pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate and no one gave him anything. Now, now that he's in a place of rejection here, he left everything that he had at his father's home. He rejected the grace of his father, even though that grace never left him. Nowhere do we see his father, you know, disowning him or cursing his son. His father still loves him without conditions. Neither is his father forcing his son to stay as love with conditions would then require. Instead, he allows him to leave. Let's continue verse 17. But when he came to himself, he said, "How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father." to be called your son. Notice his father ignores that statement, but his father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate In time, his son came to his senses, and his father embraced him with love there in verse 20. It says his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him. This story that Jesus tells here is a perfect story, a perfect picture of God's grace to us. As we are lost and we're living our lives for ourselves, God is there with open arms ready. He's ready whenever we are. As humans, we are known for our impatience. We want things to happen right away. So why do we wait? Why do we wait for the good life? It's like when we wake up or, you know, have you ever got that feeling you want to conquer the day? You go to bed, you're like, tomorrow I'm going to run five miles and do everything I wanted to do. Well, I'm sure if you did run, you'd probably have a better day. But you've got to actually run. You've got to put in that work. That feeling's not going to come. If we are going to get that feeling, if we're going to conquer that day and be successful, then we need God's help. It's with His grace that we can do that. In order to do this, we have to remember to recognize that our actions are always better when they're in line with what God says, with God's word and his law. And with God's grace, his love, it reaches all, no matter the sins that are committed. And finally, in order to receive that promise, we have to dwell where God dwells. How do we dwell with God and make God's grace mean something in our life? Both through Jesus. John 1, 16 through 18 says, And from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. That is Jesus. What are we waiting for? God's grace is everlasting to everlasting, but our life on this earth is not. Now needs to be the time where we enter into God's tent of grace, if you will. And perhaps you were with God and like the prodigal son you left. That's okay. God's grace is still available and you can return to him. He awaits us all. Our job, as long as we understand, is to repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of our sins. And it's through this that we can dwell with God forever. Everything Jesus did led the way for us. He led the way toward grace. Luke three twenty one verse 22 shows Jesus' baptism. Now when all the people were baptized and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened up and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove and a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. If the son of God was baptized, then why can't we? If you feel that call this morning, come forward. We stand and we sing.